0: welcome to street smart success this is roger becker your host knowing when to buy can make all the difference between average and incredible returns in today's world there's distress in office retail and hotels today's guest nate barger started out flipping homes and apartments but has slowed down adding multifamily to his portfolio and is pivoting instead to value add hotels with great upside potential as the market for hospitality rebounds So today we have with us a gentleman who threatens to be potentially the most interesting guy I have yet to talk to. So I've been super excited for this interview, the real estate stuff as part of that, but not all. Amazing, amazing background, and and I'm going to let him tell the story, but uh, this guy did not start out on the right side of the street. And that's all I'm going to say. Today, we have with us a guy. He's flipped over 3,500 units, currently holds almost a couple thousand, raising a $50 million fund to buy distressed hotels. I think all this is current. He will correct me if I'm not. With us, we have Nate Barger. Nate, welcome to Street Smart Success.
1: Hey, Roger. Thank you so much, Uh, man. I appreciate you having me on, brother. And yeah, that's Pretty correct. We're about maybe four thousand units now. We bought another five hundred, and we are uh, actively buying hotels and raising capital for those. And you know, we got social media, got a group with about one hundred thirty thousand people in it that's been growing by cr- like crazy. The Burr Invest group on Facebook. Well,
0: one of the things that you and I have connected on is uh, the fact that you're there from uh, the southwestern part of Ohio, where we're. My- big part of my heart still is and that is in the town of Cincinnati and so Nate you know you you were a hard scrabble guy growing up right to say the least and so maybe tell the listeners a little bit about the young Nate Barger and, and what what your life was your early path
1: yeah yeah thank you Roger so um like a lot of you guys I grew up in a normal uh alcoholic blue collar family you know my parents were super young they were baby boomers and I was born in 75 and my mom was the middle of 11. My dad was the oldest of six, and they were like 19 and 20 when they had us, and they were just kind of kids themselves. And my mom was had anxiety real bad. She was an alcoholic. My dad was an alcoholic. He was a railroader, so he was never around. And so growing up, you know, I didn't really have any role model. And then in the neighborhood I lived in, it got decimated by crack cocaine. And, you know, I just saw my dad working all the time and he was broke all the time. And, you know, water, you know, not a lot, but water getting cut off and electric. And you always hear him arguing about money. So I just thought that working people were always broke. So I started to idolize these drug dealers and listen to rap music. And, you know, I just wanted to be a big drug dealer. And, uh, You know, I got kind of kind of was, you know, bad in school and got kind of sent away to I think I was in my ninth grade year and I pulled the fire alarm at school. These girls were laughing at my clothes. I only had two shirts, so I had to figure out which one was I going to wear three days a week. Which one was I going to wear two days a week? And, you know, you try to turn it inside out and people laughing at you. And so that's kind of what got me to selling drugs was I wanted to have money, but it it was picture day. And these girls were laughing at me. They had their hair done and it was pouring down rain. And man, I said, Okay, I pulled the fire alarm. Everybody in the school had to go out there and get wet. <laughs> <laughs> So they, they found out it was me and they uh they gave an option. They were either gonna prosecute me, uh, they were gonna, you know, expel me, or I could go to this little uh, you know, go to this um military camp. But my brother was already up there. So I thought, well, what did I have to lose, man? I missed my brother and went up there and I would say, you know, just you meet people that are in from worse neighborhoods than you even, and you start to develop your criminal enter- enterprise. And so I, I was up there for about a year and came back and was, you know, just, man, trying to figure out what to do. I think I was selling weed at the time. And like I said, crack cocaine was, was there. And I had a job at rallies. The only job I really ever had, I only worked there a couple of weeks, but I was coming back from there and this guy said, Hey, hey Nate, run this across the street over there and I'll give you 20 bucks. And it was some cocaine and. I made 20 bucks and I just thought, man, I just worked like four hours at rallies and didn't make that much. And so, you know, I, I start selling drugs. And by the time I was 17, I, I was becoming, you know, I don't want to say successful because you're never successful doing this stuff. But in the eyes of, you know, people that are selling drugs, I was becoming successful. I was making money. I was working my way up. I was buying, you know, maybe a quarter key and I had a crack house and um, it kicked the door and I got busted. I didn't get busted with much dope at all. I was 17. I was still in high school. And um, I, I just, man, I want you guys to know. I want you guys to listen to this story because what I went through and where I'm at now, I have no idea how I got there other than God. So, and not, try, not trying to be religious, Roger, right? It's just my experience. And so, man, for the next, you know, I I, I got probation for that. Then I tried to figure something else out. I, I just couldn't, you know? I I didn't know how to work for anybody else. I was used to making so much fast money. My brother and them would go out and rob stores at night. So I thought maybe I'll try that. Well, we went and did one. And man, the police were coming against us when we were leaving the scene. And I was like, oh my God, I can't do this. I'd rather go back to selling drugs. And I think we got $14 at night. There were five of us to split $14. We went to White Castle and they asked, was I hungry? Did I want something? (laughs) I'm not hungry at all, man. I have no appetite. And I was just thinking, I I don't I don't have the nerves for this. Um, so I went back to selling drugs. Oh, I'm gonna take you way 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 back. Just out of curiosity. So,
0: what, you know, your, your mom mid, middle of eleven, your dad one of six. Did did they come up from? Uh, There's a, a bad term, but were they hillbillies? Did they come up from like Tennessee, Kentucky,
1: and yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So my mom's side of the family was from Ironton, Ohio. Just kind of hills, nothing out there. They were coal miners. And they came over here to Cincinnati for the automotive jobs. And my my dad, they were from like the hills of Kentucky. My seventh great grandfather settled there in eighteen twelve. And, you know, just some of the most worthless property over there by Daniel Boone Forrest. Actually, I found out our family owned a big chunk of land and the army corps came and bought it in the 50s and turned it into buckhorn lake but it was worthless i mean five dollars an acre. it was just you couldn't do nothing on it so yeah they came up in the 30s and the 40s for the railroad jobs and automotive jobs from the hills of kentucky so kind of that that whole mentality of that just not very educated people very good very mechanically inclined but bad alcoholics you know a lot of bad alcoholics came from from down there i would say that you know that that
0: subculture is like five million people still are like come out of that scotch irish going all the way back to the 1700s you're talking about 1812 how many and just just a detail just because i'm a curious guy nate how many kids were in your family obviously you had a brother but how many kids in total
1: Yep. So my brother, my sister was born in 74, me in 75 and my brother in 76. And then my dad, he got fixed. He didn't want any more kids. So 74, three of us. Got it.
0: Okay. So thank you for bearing with. So you were a smart man. You decided you didn't have the nerve for robbing stores and frankly, a $14 take to be split by five. The economics clearly weren't uh, in your favor. And so you decided <laughs> to you know, stick with the bigger transactions. So you're 17 years old uh and what happens then
1: yeah so you know i caught my first case i got probation for it it was uh i got caught with like uh less than a gram of uh a crack i forgot i had it in my back pocket and i was still in school so i actually had these guys working on this project that i had to finish out an architectural something to graduate because i would got out of military school and so got caught it's on probation and i went back to selling drugs you know then i got caught with uh You know, I got caught with not a substantial amount. I think it was like one to three times bulk. You can look it up. You can look my name up, Nate or Nathaniel or Nathan on Hamilton County Clerk of Courts in Ohio, and you'll see my record. I got a lengthy record. And I'm not proud of it, but I'm here to tell you guys this because I want you to know that you can overcome any obstacle. So um, I ended up going to prison and I was out 57, 58 days, caught another case, went back to prison for selling cocaine again. And then I met this guy in prison. I was walking around the track with this guy I had met. And he said, you know, he was like, man, Nate, my buddy got busted. And I said, well, we all got busted, man. That's why we're in here. And I said, well, what did he get busted with? And he said, 13 tons of weed. And man, my eyes lit up. I grabbed him on his shoulder. I said, man, did they get all of them? And he was like, no, they just got this guy named Bucky. I never met Bucky. I guess Bucky may still be in jail. So, you know, it was all you're dreaming. You're thinking, man, you know how much weed I can sell, you know, how much money I can make. And then, you know, you get out of jail and I'm and I started selling weed. And about six months after I got out, I had gave him my mom's number because it's all you had just back in the 90s. I got out in 97. And she said some guy named Chris from Columbus called. you. His name was Chris Hemsworth. And I don't know where Chris is today. I've tried to look him up a few times. I hope he's still around. But um, he called me and he said, are you ready? And I knew exactly what he was talking about. And man, we went down to Texas and, and they loaded us up. I think we got 96 pounds the first time. And then I started selling so much weed. They just start driving it up to me every week. They were bringing me 300 pounds. And then I almost got caught again. So I took a couple of years off and I, and I just kept trying, Roger. I kept trying and trying to find something. I kept trying. I kept failing. I kept, re- I kept investing my drug money into something. I kept failing. I started a rim and tire shop and That just didn't work out. And then I started a roofing company and that just didn't work out. But all along, I was forming these. I was understanding business. I was going to school in a way. And so um, by the time I was 29, which would have been 2004, I cried out to God because I had made millions of dollars selling weed. I didn't want to do it no more. I knew that the FBI was watching me. I knew it was only a matter of time. I had one of my friends just got 12 years, he got caught with 600 pounds. I mean, I, I just was so paranoid. I didn't know what else to do though. So I cried out to God and he delivered me like that. I was done. But I still had this alcoholism that I was battling and um, I didn't know what to do. So God showed me real estate and I started buying real estate and I started burning real estate. I didn't even know what it was back then. But back then you didn't need tax returns. All you needed was some credit. And, you know, I was doing the burr process, which is basically you're buying a property that is distressed. You're fixing it up. You're using a vertical, you're vertically integrated. Uh, a lot of people don't even know that, but if you're GC in the project, if you're putting a project together, you're picking out the colors, you're basically the interior designer. So you're doing all that and you're creating value by doing that. So these first two properties I did, I think we were all in for one of them for 38,000, other one for 30,000. And, uh, I ended up getting 85,000 out of one of them from the bank. And the other one, I ended up getting 53,000. So that gave me the money that I started that I needed, um, legit money in the bank to go out and start buying more and more and more and more and more. And so by 2010, I was up to about, I was learning how to do this stuff, but I didn't understand the finances. I didn't understand real estate cycles. There was just a lot that I didn't understand. And so by 2010, I was bankrupt. I was losing everything. And I didn't know what else to do. By this time, I would married the woman of my, you know, I just fell in love with this, with the lady I'm married to still today, my wife. She helped me get free of alcohol in 2006. I, but I just didn't know I wasn't highly educated. And not saying that from a sense of college, but I didn't really know real estate like I thought I knew it. And um, I went bankrupt, lost everything. Were you just
0: too, you you some gathering, you were just too overextended and and all of a sudden you were just underwater on too many properties? Is that what happened or?
1: Yeah. So I was all over the place. I didn't have a clear direction. I had bought a 56 acre junkyard. I had a, uh, two industrial buildings and I had all these residential properties and four units and, you know, just, I was all over the place. I didn't have a clear focus. And I just, and then I had all, I was, yeah, over leveraged. I had a construction equipment that I had leases on. And again, I just didn't have a clear focus on where I needed to go. So in 2010, I filed bankruptcy and I drug it out a couple of years, worked it out with the banks. I had one of my private investors that had about 2 million with me. And when I told him, he about, uh, man, he, he was like, I could see it was, I was like, look, I got you. You're not going to miss I'm not going to miss a single payment. Your properties are protected. We have liens on everything. And so I had to work through that process with him. But ultimately what happened was he was able to foreclose on those properties and I had to pay for all the fees, all the attorney fees. And he was able to give me those properties back with the same loan on them. And when he saw I did that and I didn't run from him, he opened his wallet up and he gave me millions more. And um, I wanted to quit, but I couldn't. What else was I going to do? And plus, I had uh, Jim Rixie's money, which is a good friend of mine who since passed away uh, suddenly. But I knew how hard my dad worked for his money. And I was like, man, I got to get this guy all his money back. So I just couldn't quit. And so I challenge you guys. When you say it's not easy, you got to find your why. And my why was not me. It was not about me. It was about Jim. It was about my wife. It was about my sons who deserved better. And so by 2013, I emerged from bankruptcy and Roger, I had a 400 credit score. I had no money. And in 2014, I bought 28% of all the multifamilies that traded in Cincinnati. In 2015, I had enough passive income to retire, brother. I had over 35,000 a month in passive income in those two short years. Now, part of that was timing and the market, but part of that was just, I was not going to stop. I was not going to quit. And so, I challenge all of you guys now. If you want to become a millionaire within five years, I know the desperation that you're going through. But look, man, you are in control of your future. Nobody else is. I don't care what your circumstances are. You can overcome it, you can do it. You have to start making different decisions, though. And that first decision is what is your why? It has to be greater than you, right? It can't be, well, because I want to. No, no. You got to find something that you're pushing for that is greater than your kids, your wife, your husband, whatever it may be. You've got to find that.
0: So, by 2015, you're you're knocking down 400 in passive uh, you had bought, you know, by 2014, 28% of, of the, you know, residential property. I forget how you defined it in Cincinnati, but that was for sale. So, I guess my question is this is that you you know, you went BK Interesting story. You had a 400 credit score. So, how did you get the money to buy? How did you get the banks to lend, or were you just doing, you know, private loans? Or how how did you pull all that together?
1: So, what I did was I found some guys that were newbies. They had a mortgage company. We just ended up selling the last piece of property that we had together this year. We paid a million for it in 2013. We just sold it for six point five five this year. Nice. Um, But what happened was these guys were they had money they had capital they didn't know what the heck they were doing and so i told my I, I was like hey man guys why don't we put this deal together i was like i know how to manage it i know how to do the construction me and my partner mike we know how to do all that and we we're like we'll bring that and you guys can bring the money and the financing well at the time you couldn't get financing on distressed properties unless you didn't need the money and they weren't wealthy guys they just had a little bit of money and they knew how to raise money more than anything and so with um what we did was we put this piece of property under contract, knowing good and well that we couldn't finance it. We took it to the bank. The bank said it's not financeable. It's losing $10,000 a month. We took that letter back to the guy and said, hey, the guy was like 82, but we were dealing with his kids. We said, look, the building's not financeable. You guys are losing $10,000 a month. What we'll do is we will take it over if you are willing to hold a mortgage. So they said, OK, if you guys put down $150,000, we'll hold the mortgage. And they gave us like a four and a half percent rate and they gave us five years. So that's how we got into that deal. The property was just being mismanaged. Their dad built it back in like from 78 to 87. He built all of them. So they weren't bad buildings. The rents, they just kept lowering them. And I mean, I remember renovating some of them units and they had the original carpet from 1978, the like orange and brown and, you know, that that Berber looking stuff. That you would see an old Vans and it was like, they just kept dropping the rent because they thought the problem was the rent was too high when it was just the renovation was horrible. Nobody wanted to stay there.
0: Interesting. So the thing was upside down 10 grand a month. They basically carried paper and you, you had to come up with 150 grand.
1: Well, we had to come up with 150 plus the money to renovate it. So we had, uh, you know, had an investor that gave us, I think, six hundred fifty thousand dollars. We renovated it within eighteen months. We got a reevaluation on just fifty-seven of the ninety-seven units for two point four million. Got him all his cash back, and then we just we just held it until COVID hit, and then we had it under contract in COVID for five point nine, and the deal fell through because the guy was spooked out by COVID. And then we relisted it after COVID and actually ended up getting five hundred fifty thousand more. We had another offer for $6.8 million, which was a quarter million higher. But we really liked this guy's offer. He was putting $100,000 hard day one. He waived inspections. And um, so we just felt like that was worth a quarter million to us. We just want it was a small, it went from being a big unit to us to now it's kind of like with smaller, scattered site, a 57 unit, a 17 and a 24. So it was just kind of a smaller, scattered site stuff. And we wanted to get rid of it.
0: The the guy that, uh, going back a sec, the guy that gave you 600 grand for rehab money, like what kind of deal did you make with him?
1: So we gave him 6% interest on his money, plus he got, I think, 10% of the deal. So there were four of us and we got 22.5% apiece. So that would be 90. Yeah, he got 10% of the deal. But when we cashed him his money out, I think he kept about 200 grand in. So I think we got him all his money back, but 200 grand, He still got a 6% um, preferred return on his um, 200 grand he had in, but he still got to keep his 10% equity. So that's how we do with our investors. Most of the time now we'll do a 50-50 with them where they don't get a pref, um, but we'll get them 50% of the deal. We'll bring the deal. We'll take care of the financing. We'll personally guarantee it if need be, or take care of the financing. So you know, you just learn all this stuff from doing it year after year. What? Works for the investors. Our goal as soon as we close is to try to get this thing to where we can go do a refi and get our investors cash back to them. Then they get infinite returns once they get, you know, they keep their equity.
0: Of course. And so now you're almost at 4,000. And is that with, do you have one business partner in it? And then do you syndicate them? And a bunch of other questions, but I'll start with those.
1: Yeah, no. So right now I've done about 4,000 units, but right now I'm currently holding about 1,800. I just had an opportunity. We could have bought a thousand units, but it just isn't for me anymore. Uh, my life is kind of just and I'm, I'm 46. I'm at a point where I kind of want to do like the apartments are great. I know I'm inside out. I don't really want to scale on apartments. So I start buying hotels. And that's kind of more my focus is, is buying hotels right now, building ground up. We just got 120, 130 acres under contract. We're looking to do master development. we got a $70 million development down in Sarasota, Florida. We're doing, we got a, a couple other hotels under contract. We should be closing on in a couple of weeks. So that's kind of where our focus is right now.
0: You know what? And I, and I should have known that it was 1800 and the, that you'd flipped the was That was just my bad on No, nah, sp- no, that's okay,
1: brother. Hey man, I'll, I'll take them, but I don't
0: know where they're at. You know, I'll, I'll just- <laughs> Space out. So you, you said you don't want to scale apartments
1: right now. You said you know them in and out. Why is that? They're a lot of work. They're a lot harder to scale on unless you're buying like the really nice stuff. And I just feel like the nicer stuff right now has a lot of risk in it. It's just not what I do. Like the big institutional guys can do that. They got huge capital, but I still syndicate from real people. And so for the deals that I like to do, they have tremendous margins on them. The deals, a lot of time, them guys are buying a five cap building. They're getting 2.65% debt on it. You know, the returns just aren't there. So if the market is to wiggle backwards a little bit, they they could be hurt. Or if the cap rates decompress. Right now, I think the cap rates are really low because we got really low interest rates. But cap rates typically uh, trail the 10-year treasury by 150 to 200 basis points. So as rates go back up, cap rates will decompress. And as that happens, the values could come down on them. So right now, the opportunity that I see, and I'm an opportunist buyer, is hotels. We're getting tremendous value in hotels. We're getting them for about half price. And instead of bringing 30 40% down, we're only bringing about 10% down because we're assuming a lot of these CMBS notes that have failed and working it out with the owners and working, keeping the employees working and just striving to create win-wins across the board with everybody from our investors to the employees, to the to the owners, sometimes even keeping them in the deals and the servicers.
0: Interesting. So 10% down and you're and you're taking on, you're assuming the loans. Is that what you just said?
1: Yep. So, I mean, you say 10%, but I'll give you an idea. Like we got two of them right now that are worth about 27 million. The guy owes 13 million on them. We had to raise 4 million on them. So, you know, that was a little more, that one was about 30% down, but you're 30%, the things are worth 27 million. He couldn't really sell them. He had a cash offer for 18 million, but we were able to come in and assume the 13 million and keep him in a deal and do a 70-30 split with him because he just wanted to get his million eight. What happened was the guy's like 80 years old and he's in the middle of doing a major renovation on him, using his capital and COVID hits and nobody will do the cash out refi for him at that point. So he got stuck causing him to kind of, you know, default on the loan. But that one, he couldn't sell for the 18 million because when you do these bigger loans, they got, they got defeasance on them. CMBS did. I don't know if you guys or your viewers know about that. The prepayment penalties are crazy. And the prepayment penalty was millions of dollars. And he, he just couldn't make it work with that seller. So we came in uh, to be strategic and help him out with that deal. But we should, we should do really well. We're going to make at least a five, you know, four or five X on our money on that deal over the Man, next
0: five years. ain't bad. Hey, Street Smart listeners. I'd like to introduce a great partner for you. As you know, insurance is one of the biggest expenses on the P&L. That's why I'm recommending Assured Partners. Assured Partners helps you lower risk and, therefore, can save you tons of money down the road. They insure over 2 million market rate and affordable units and are the sixth largest insurance property broker in the U.S. If you want a roll-your-sleeves-up partner that blankets you with service, give Robert Band, Vice President, a call. Robert thinks like a CFO because he was a CFO for many years. Give Robert a call now at 305-467-5909. You'll be glad you did. What's the uh, brand and where are they? What's the franchise? uh,
1: Both of them are in Indiana. One of them is a uh, IHG State Bridge. So it's a bigger one, 140 plus rooms. Those are really nice. They got two bedrooms in them, one bedrooms, and they got like studios they all have granite countertops stainless steel appliances full kitchens and IHG is like Holiday Inn and the other one is a Hampton Inn it's a smaller one it's like 80 something rooms so um like i said them things are probably worth 27 to 31 million uh out of covid so it's just all timing um we bring the money to finish the renovation which was about 600,000 and then catch up the back payments and bring plenty of reserves going forward to make sure we have money to make it through this delta variant and you know, in the next 24 months. And we may exit sooner than that, but um, we may just do a cash out refi and keep them too. It's whatever is best for our investors at that point.
0: And is it you in and in, in one partner?
1: Yeah, so me and Mike, uh, my partner, Mike Keeley, he does social media as well. And we own Nassau Investments and we own the hospitality group is what we buy our hotels under. So yeah, he's been my partner. He came in and helped me out in 2010. He actually was my first realtor on my first three houses I bought. And, um, you know, I didn't dig into a lot of that story, but I known Mike and he kind of helped me change my whole mindset. I was a drug dealer and he gave me this, this audio book back in maybe 04, seven habits of highly effective people. And that book right there, I just didn't just listen to it. I became it. And, and I just like, you know, really studied it. And, uh, so Mike's always been there for me. I love him like a brother and, you know, crazy. I'm sitting here looking at these two Bentleys. We are both ordering brand new Bentleys. Um, Why? I don't know. Cause I got a Bentley and it ain't that old, but he wanted one. So I was like, well, if you're getting one, I'm getting one. So, but uh, you know, it's, he's like my brother, man. I, I love Mike.
0: Wow. Uh, that's an amazing story. And, and kudos to you for like really internalizing those seven, seven habits. I mean, and really making them work. I mean, a lot of people buy the book, but I would say probably less than 1% actually integrate that and actually do anything about it. So that that is super amazing. You know, I was talking to another guy who's buying hotels. Uh, it's a group out of San Diego. And he was saying that they're not, there's not as many distressed hotels as there were like an 08, 09, you know, clearly before you were doing them because you are you know, you were doing a different thing at that point in time. But he was saying because of uh, all the PPP money and that lenders were, you know, letting people defer the notes and working with them just because they saw that how in 08, 09, it all 2010, it all came back for hotels and that the lending community, broadly speaking, sees the same thing, especially with COVID, which isn't even economically, you know, oriented. But you in your mind and what you're seeing, there is a lot of distress.
1: Well, you gotta dig for it. Um, and so he's right. I mean, we thought we would have a hundred of these things by now or fifty of them at the beginning of the year, and we got four. So he's hundred percent right. The PP uh, the PPM money, all that that money, the loans. I mean, it's propped up the hotels. And on top of that, there's so much money out here right now that these hotels have not seen the cap rate compression. So cap rate cap rates on hotels were seven and eight percent pre-COVID. Well, uh, you know, apartments were arguably five to seven percent, and they compressed all the way down to three and four and five percent. So hotels have not seen that cap rate compression because you can't really value them and they're starting to use 2019 numbers to buy them off of. So it is getting harder. But the uh, one thing that we are able to do, we're vertically integrated. We have our own construction management team so we can buy these older ones that need the pips and we can bring the pips in at 50 cents on a dollar. So that's advantageous for us. And also the the distressed notes are selling for like 95, 97 cents on a dollar. So it's insane. You know, who would have thought that? We would have thought we thought the notes would be selling for 60, 70 cents on a dollar and, but what you got to realize is hotels, you typically had to put 30% down. So you had some equity in it. And then if you had it for any period of time, five years, you, you typically run on a 25 year AM or a 20 year AM. So you had a good chunk of, uh, on a $15 million hotel, you probably own only owed 8 million. So you were in good shape. So a lot of them weren't in really bad shape as far as finances.
0: I see. But,
1: but so yeah, he's absolutely right. But there's a lot of opportunity out here. We see it. But I, like I said, we are really picky. And I'm just a spot in my life where I really just want to give back to people. I've been doing a social media more. We have a uh, a crowd fund uh, website that we're working on putting out and raising money. So so you you know I just really picky with my time and picky with deals. And I, my passion right now is to give back to other people. I have. Um, An academy that I came out with and I got people all over the country that are in it now and I'm starting to pair them up in cities and I'm going down to Jacksonville in November the 11th and we're going to actually identify a neighborhood and we got 11 people in Jacksonville that we put in this group. We're going to show them all how to come in and start buying in the same neighborhood and using the same resources. And so it's gonna be amazing just to see how these people's lives are transformed.
0: That is a, uh, that's a really, really cool thing to to show people how to do uh, what you've been able to do. Are the, um, you know, the 1800 or so apartments that you still have, are those all in Cincinnati or are they spread out?
1: They are all in Hamilton County, which is some of it Cincinnati, but some of it is outside the limits. But yeah, they're all in Cincinnati MSA. Now the hotels, we buy them all over the country. So we got them in, in, in Oklahoma and in Florida and Ohio and in Indiana. Got some that we were working on up in uh, Wisconsin that fell through that I really wanted, but it just didn't work out.
0: And, and then the vertical integration component, how does that work when you're you know, dealing with these properties that are you know, out of state?
1: So it's easier because it's, it's one site. You set a construction manager up. You kind of give them the budget. We have a 16,000 square foot warehouse down in, down in Dunwoody or down in Atlanta, Georgia that does all the fabrication. So they can get all the MDF board um, and they can get all the laminate. They can build out all the countertops. They have a CNC machine. We order from China typically, but right now you have to go to Vietnam because of the tariffs and because of COVID. So it's mainly, you know, your supply distribution and then being able to use subcontractors. We got um, guys that we bring up from Bolivia and green card and have them do the work. So we're vertically integrated. We're bringing guys up. You, the U.S. labor force doesn't have enough uh, construction guys right now. And your average construction guy and, in, in, you know, they're 80 bucks an hour by the time you figure in benefits so 60 to 80 an hour and you can't afford to pay that. I mean, you got man, you're. Five, six, seven hundred $700 a day per guy. I mean, that gets real expensive. Do you have a
0: team of people that you're describing? Are they full-time employees or what's the relationship
1: there? Yeah. So we got people like the generals, the people. So we partnered with a, with a large company here in Cincinnati. They have about $2 billion worth of hotels and we formed a hospitality group and they have the back office that we need, all the accounting, all the controllers. Uh, all the people to do all the ordering, take care of all the paperwork for us. And then we go out and since our experience is doing this type of construction and we've done, you know, 4,000 units in apartments, it's systems. How do we get productivity out of these guys? How do we cut out that big guy that's got all this? So here, let's run numbers real quick. Okay. So let's say you got an AC unit at your house. I'm just going to tell your viewers how you do this. AC unit that needs replaced at your house, right? You call a guy up, And you need AC and a furnace replaced at your house is $16,000, right? Sure. Okay. So typically they're going to be running, you know, 20, 20, about 20% of that's going to be advertising, another 20, 25% of that's going to be sales. And then another, let's say 30% of that's going to be profit. So you got about 65, 70% of that's just waste and profit, right? But if we get straight down to how much is the install guy and how much are the materials? That's how we're able to get construction costs done for, you know, that 25 to 40 cents on a dollar because we cut out all that other stuff. We don't need all that. You know, we're handling the process from start to finish. We have the construction guys. We don't mark it up. We that we make our money off the properties. And that's what we kind of push for our investors. We may mark it up a little five percent so that we can cover our uh, overhead. But we're not taking down profit. Our profit is our hard work that we're putting into these buildings and creating equity.
0: I see. Obviously you've got your eye on an interesting dynamic right now with the hotels, and I'm sure that you'll do very, very well, you know, finding situations where, you know, a guy, like you says eighty years old and you know, you can you can go in and, and add value. But if you're looking back over all the stuff that you've done, what would you say were you know, some of the bigger mistakes that you've made?
1: Not understanding basic jobs and how they correlate to housing. You know, I was just buying because it was cheap and buying the cheap place that cash flows isn't necessarily the best. And here I'm gonna give you a perfect example. We're gonna use $100,000 as a round because Roger, what do you think a good return is?
0: That's like a good return. I'll, I'll just throw, let's say eight. You mean like cash on cash or Let's internal? just say
1: total project return Total pro,
0: Total project return, a good one. I'll say 14%. How's that? Okay. Well, watch
1: this. I'm going to identify a $100,000 house. And if you say, well, you can't get one for a hundred thousand, just say 500. We're just talking numbers here, right? I'm going to show you how to identify houses that you can buy For XYZ, we're going to use 100,000 that can get 5% appreciation. And I'm going to show you why I think they can get that. So, do you think that that's a feasible business model? Sure. Okay. So, go to the bank. I say, hey, got this property that brings in $1,100 a month. I want to buy it for 100,000, Roger. How much money uh, will you loan me? You're going to say, well, I'll loan you 80%. Need you to put 20% now. 20% of 100,000 is 20 grand, right? Yep. So this property makes eleven hundred dollars a month times twelve, you know, makes thirteen. What's that? Thirteen two. You know, you're gonna have some vacancy. Blah blah blah. You're gonna have about seven seven hundred dollars a month in free cash flow to service debt and to so seven hundred times twelve is eighty four hundred, right? Yep. Now you got to pay the bank. Let's say you go to the bank and you got a loan for eighty thousand, and let's say that you're getting the money for four percent, but your indicative rate looks closer to like a five and a half. So five and a half percent. Uh, and, and what I mean by that is because you're going to have some principal and interest, correct? Yep. So let's just say you're interest only because if we're not, well, let's just say that it's looks like a five and a half percent. Usually put 150 to 175 basis points on top of a three and a half or 4% to get you there. So we got 80,000 is the number we're talking about financing times 0.055. That's $4,400 a year. Okay. That's cash flow. I mean that's that's how much you got to pay the bank the bank forty four hundred a year, you follow me? Yeah. So we had eighty four hundred minus forty four hundred leaves us with how much? Dude, you're asking me to get my calculator out. Four four thousand. I got it. I just if you're following me. Are you following? Yeah, <laughs> following. Okay, now listen. The property's going up five percent a year. What's five percent of a hundred thousand?
0: Yeah, right. Five grand.
1: Okay, five grand plus your four thousand is what? Yep, nine. Okay. Now take 9,000, divide that by 20,000. Tell me what kind of return you just got. D- divided by uh, 20,000.
0: Yeah. It sounds to me, let me, let me, let me get my calc out. Just a I second. can tell
1: you, but uh, I want you to get it. Cause I, I want to blow your mind. All right. This I how get... you get wealthy in real estate. That's it right here. Let me see. You said nine grand, right? $9,000. Yeah. And I showed you how you're going to get it. Right. Right. So if I'm looking at, why do I look at a 4.5%?
0: I'm looking it's at- 40,
1: It's 40. Uh, so you take 9,000 divided by 20,000. Yeah, so that is- this is 4.5, which is 45% return. Right. Now you just told me you want 14%, Yeah, right? 45% is nice, yeah. So listen, here's all I do. This is all we do over and over and over again. 45% isn't a project we typically are going to hit between 27 and 41%. But sometimes we get the ones where we hit more, and this is yearly, right? With a five year disposition. So I go and find investors who want, you know, 15 to 18 to 20. And some of that's cash flow and some of that is on disposition. That's when you learn how to do that. You learn how to syndicate capital. That's when you can become wealthy because you can go buy as much property as you can humanly possibly effectively manage. You were saying, though, your
0: mistake, though, was that this, the super cheap stuff you said you've made a mistake. And by the way, that was thirty thirteen two 4,400, but we weren't, and that was the note, but we weren't talking about any expenses running the house.
1: Yeah. Yeah, we did. Because remember, we didn't, we had 13,2, and I said we only going to net about 700 out a month. We had 1,100, we're going to net about 700. Oh, right?
0: the net was going to, the net was the, Okay, got it. Okay. The net,
1: that was 8,400, right? Yep yep that was three four hundred, and then you take the debt service out of it, which was forty four hundred, get you to four grand, and five grand of that was appreciation. I
0: got it, I got it, I got it. yeah, and, and you're only putting twenty down. um yep. so so That's called leverage return. What were you thinking when you said, hey, the mistake was buying the cheap stuff
1: the The mistake was this. how much did you make off cash flow? You made four grand, right? Yeah. How much did you make off of appreciation?
0: Yeah, five grand.
1: okay, so what happened to the cash flow? It got distributed and spent, right? Yeah. What happened to the appreciation? Well, it just sits there. Okay. Until you need it. Yeah, right. Right. So the problem is if you buy a property that's not appreciating, the furnace is going to call you. It's going to say, hey, Roger, hey, listen, man, you've been neglecting me. It's seven years. These cabinets are falling off the wall. I need new carpet. The roof's bad. I need a furnace. And listen, you need to get over here and fix this. And you say, well, I don't, I spent all the cash flow. And you say, well, take some out of the equity. And you say, there is no equity. I bought in the wrong area. You're worth what I paid for. You may be less, right? You're done. You're done. So you got to know how to identify. And that comes down to basic jobs, supply and demand. What does it cost in this market to build? How much does it cost a square foot to build? How much can I buy this inventory for here? If I renovate it and make it look like a new one, am I in it well below replacement cost? If I am, then do I have enough basic jobs coming in where I'm going to need new supply? If I don't need new supply, because basic jobs like durable goods are going to have an eight to one multiplier. So let's say that you have a, a new uh, place coming in. It's going to bring a thousand jobs in its durable goods. Well, you really just create 8,000 durable good jobs plus the other thousand. Those are the 8,000 are going to be, uh, uh, you know, answer, they're going to be like service jobs, right? Yeah. You follow them? Yeah. They're going to be direct and indirect jobs. So, you know, direct jobs would be like, well, there's a, you know, a a truck driver that's going to be needed to pull this stuff out of here. Indirect is going to be like, there's a Home Depot down the street and we got builders building new houses because all these people need new houses to live in. Then you have to figure out what your current occupancy is. If you're in a tight market, then prices are going to have to rise. Then you have to look into what the average median household is and what they can afford. So it sounds complicated, but it's not really complicated. And that's what I show people how to do, so that they know how to buy successfully. They don't make the same mistake I did, just buying because it's cheap and they think it has cash flow.
0: So it sounds like, if you were just dis- at least partly distill it down, because the question was your mistake. It sounds like you didn't necessarily anticipate the expense side of running those kind of properties.
1: Well, you don't expend. You don't. You don't think about the five and seven and ten years and how you're going to recapitalize. You don't think about, all you think about, oh, it cash flows, let's buy it, right? Right? You're not thinking about the area you're buying it in. You're not thinking about the long-term capital repairs. This thing's going to need to stay on the road.
0: Yeah. You know, I have a feeling, uh, Nate, that you were not the first one to make that mistake and certainly not the last one. And you won't be the last one. I think that's probably a mistake people will make from this point to the end of time, because it's, you know, it's alluring when you think you can make, you know, a nice percentage on your return. And, you know, you know, if you're not experienced and you haven't seen those, those movies before. Well, you know what? Amazing story, inspirational I guess my question is this is um, so you are now highly inspired to teach other people to do what you've done. How would one interact with you, get a hold of you, et cetera, Nate?
1: You know, I got the, um, and guys, this isn't just, this is my passion. I don't want to see any of you guys going through life waiting until you get older to enjoy it. You can do it while you're younger, but you got to take some chances. I'm not going to sit here and tell you that every day you're going to be happy. And I don't, I mean, that every day you're, some days you may say, man, I just hate that property. But listen, it's not about you. It's about your kids and grandkids and great grandkids and about paying for their weddings and everything else. So I have a group. Uh, it's called BRRRR Invest on Facebook and has you know we got like over 130,000 people in there roger and i just i've been teaching a lot of these people i got one of them to jump and then i got an academy outside of that one of them did his first house and he was going to flip it and guys if you don't know what burr means it's buy renovate rent refinance repeat what you're essentially doing is forcing the value so this guy he was going to flip his first house make 25 30 grand he took the academy his name's jason giddings he's out of northern ohio He set his five-year goal because I have him also set your five-year goal. I got another private Facebook group that they all go to. His five-year goal was to have a $60 million net worth. And I thought, man, that's impressive, brother. Show me how you're going to do it. And I looked at his business plan. It's impressive. He can get there. Five years. This is a guy that's not a millionaire right now. This is a guy that just figured it out. And he's willing to put the work in. That's a lot
0: of dough, man. 60 mil.
1: It's a lot. I'm talking net worth, not the amount of properties, but he has a clear plan on how he's going to do it. I I get it. So how do people get hold of you? Just in the group. I'm in there all the time. I go okay. live every Monday night at eight o'clock p.m. Eastern time. You can reach me at Nate at nate barger or info at nate dot com. You know, I'm I'm on social media. I'm on TikTok. I got YouTube. We have we've slowed down doing YouTube because we got some professionals that are coming in that we hired to come in and help us. Uh, really get our YouTube videos tightened up. But, um, you know, and the Facebook group's the best way you can message me on, on Facebook. And, uh, if I don't get back to you, I'll, you know, I got a, I got a team, three other people that work with us on social media that do a lot of that for me. So That is it. Well, unbelievable,
0: Nate. You're helping people uh, change their lives. And um, we've been at it about an hour. And uh, man, I I cannot thank you enough for joining me uh, from from Southwest Ohio. And uh, I will talk to you soon.
1: Hey, thank you so much, man. And thank you, all your viewers for listening. I appreciate all you guys. Thank you, Roger.
0: Talk to you soon, Nate. Yep. Later, brother. Be well. (laughs) Bye-bye.